0: morning, everyone. Um, yeah, I just want to share a little test me. Um, I've got a significant day in my life. Um, so it was, it was quite a few years ago, and it's just on the topic of uh, purpose. And I just think how many, how many of us now, especially the uni students who are leaving, um, think about the future and what, what holds, you know. Um, and I just think so many of us worry about it when it's really not in our hands. It's not in our control. Um, I'm just going to open up. <clears throat> uh, so Proverbs 16 verse 9. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So just starting with, um, I guess, my testimony. Uh, it was a few years ago. I was in grade 9, so back in high school. And um, so it was just normal, normal day. And then um, I just got home. And then it was sort of in the process of like a burglary um, so there was a guy walking through a house. I saw him, and then he, he ran out. So then I just wanted to check that everything was right. I was the only sort of man in the house, so I just had to, I guess, make sure everything was okay. So I went up onto the roof just to check that the garden was all clear and that everything was fine. And then there's a segment on a roof where it's corrugated iron. and So it's a little bit slippery um, and not easy to, I guess, uh, keep a balance. So I was walking around just making sure the garden was all clear that no one was around and that everyone was safe. And then um, there's a main power line which comes from the, um, yeah, gets from the main power line into house and it runs the whole um, whole household. And so then I, because it's corrugated iron, iron, um, I guess it doesn't go very well with electricity. And I slipped and found touches, um, <coughs> touches power line, and um, I still have the scar from where, where I first touched it. And, yeah, it was, it was incredibly, um, it was the most excruciating pain I've ever felt. I was stuck on the power line. I remember both hands just being stuck on the power line and just absolutely petrified. Never have I wanted to live more desperately than that moment. And, yeah, so I remember being stuck on this, and I tried and tried to pull myself off time and time again. And it was it was absolutely terrifying when you looking death in the face and you realizing there's nothing I can do. I was pulling pulling trying to get myself off, and I could not could not move at all. I remember because um, it was so excruciating, everything inside of me and guess how strong the power was. Um, I felt like everything internally just wanted to combust and explode. Um, it was it was yeah, it was just quite a quite a fun experience. Um, <laughs> And because everything's so tense, you cannot breathe, so you suffocate, and you start basically burning up from the inside out. And so it was at this moment, after trying and trying again, trying to pull myself off, that I realized, okay, there's nothing I can do. I actually, I give up. My, my words and my thought process right then and there was, that's it, I give up, I'm going to die. And it's, it's quite a humbling place when you come to a place where you realize there's nothing that you can actually do in moments like that. Um, So basically, how I got off the power line, um, I was close to blacking out, so I can't really remember clearly, but one thing I do vividly remember is that being lifted up very gently and softly away from this power line, and if you know electricity, it doesn't do anything gently or softly, um, and just put down a couple meters away from the power line, Um, and there was no one else around me. So, obvious miracle, and I think it's... Also, it shouldn't surprise us because we serve a God of miracles. He, I mean, that's very in, insignificant to what he's capable of doing. We shouldn't put God in a box where we limit him to what he's capable of doing. So, basically... Yeah, I just want to talk on... Uh, oh, yeah, sorry. Then I got rushed to the hospital straight after that and then saw the doctor, and he was, he was quite shocked. He couldn't... <laughs> Sorry, no pun intended. <laughs> um, <laughs> he, he was trying to work out what, what had actually happened, and he, he, didn't, he couldn't piece it together. He said it didn't make sense. And he said basically, because I touched it with my left hand, that I should have died instantly on the spot because of the voltage. Uh, it was left hand, so it goes straight through your heart. And then <clears throat> he says the moment that you stuck with both hands on it, on an iron roof, or corrugated iron roof, is that... Um, There's no ways to get off it. And he said, basically, he's seen so many uh, people who basically end up like charcoal, just charged to power lines and stuff, where you cannot get them off. Um, Yeah, so I think then, so he couldn't really do much. I just sort of covered it. It was just um, an incredible story where I realized how insignificant our control and power is and how much we need to actually acknowledge that God is in control we cannot do much um, except live our life for him where he leads us so this message of purpose is something that's been very close to my heart because the next day I remember thinking I'm so grateful that I'm alive I did not want anything else in that moment of where I thought I was going to die except to purely live Um, yeah so just a message on on purpose and just how again I'm going to read the verse again Proverbs 16 verse 9 The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. I would not be alive today if the Lord did not have a purpose for me. None of you would be alive today if the Lord did not have a purpose for you, which he has fulfilled yet. He is still going to fulfill. He is faithful in saying that he will fulfill what you have ahead of you. You can rest in the fact that God has not done his job yet with you. He still has a whole plan ahead of your life and those around you. Um, yeah, and it's incredibly humbling knowing that I'm here today, I should die twice in the same minute. I'm here today, <laughs> that's, that's not the humbling part. Um, it's, yeah, but like, just knowing that I'm alive because God wants me to be alive, you guys are alive because he has not fulfilled your purpose yet. You guys still have what he has in store for you, ahead of you, and that is something encouraging where you can run a life, you know, fully committed to God because... He has a plan and a purpose for you. Jeremiah talks about how he has a plan, and purpose, purpose for us, which is going to prosper us, and he has so much ahead of us. So <clears throat> we can rest in the fact that God is faithful. You know, He will fulfill the purpose in our lives. The God I serve has overcome death. He is so much greater than death. He died on the cross, yes, as a sacrifice. He, not only did He die, He overcame death for us all. So it's at that moment when I when the thoughts went through in my head, that's it, I give up, I'm going to die, that I think there's no, no coincidence as that moment that I realized I'm insignificantly capable of um, getting myself out of the situation. God has to pull through. So it's when we, at our low points, when we are at a weakness, it's when we cannot actually change the situation that we commit it over to God that He will take control, He will step forward and provide for us. We can be f- faithful and trust that God will persevere. God will pull through. So I think for all the uni students just in particular who are leaving, rest in the fact that you can have peace knowing that God has a plan, He has a purpose for you and He has not fulfilled that. You have your lives ahead of you which God has a plan, a purpose and He will prosper you. He will you know, fulfill that. You can be faithful and rest in that. Um, yeah. So I think just on that message of purpose um, how, how comforting is it to know that You know, we serve a God who's so much bigger than us. We serve a God who will fulfill that and he will be faithful to that.
1: Yeah.
2: Well I hope you're eyeing out that potential over there. Cool guys. So Thomas set the ball quite high. Um, it doesn't need to be as prepared. Uh, uh, sorry, Callum, sorry, Callum set the ball quite high. Uh, but yeah, if you've just like even if it's just a quick five-minute testimony, mean, we'd love you um, to come up and, and share with us. Is there anybody else who would like to share? Awesome. Okay, great. Have you any? Morning, morning, everyone. Um, so I'm I'm new here. Uh, my name is Mark, and so my story is. Almost kind of flows from Callum's story. Uh, just the case of if God wants you to do something, He'll, He'll get you to do it. So I, I took a gap year last year, and I was working at a, a school in Grahamstown, and also to pass the time in the mornings, I was doing some courses through UNISA. And then I was like, cool. And then the plan was to, yeah, come to Stellenbosch. So cool, applied, everything. They're like, yeah, that's cool. You make it on your school grades. You just have to pass all your courses with UNISA. And I'm like... Phew. I don't know if anyone studied with Unisa, but like, it's, it's not that bad. <laughs> you, can, you can study almost morning of the test and you'll be, you'll be pretty fine. <laughs> I, don't know, well, I must have done the easy stuff then. But yeah, so it was cool. So I had to hand in this like, assignment kind of thing for psychology. And it was now like 8 o'clock at night, due at 12. I was like, cool, let's crack on with this. Start working, finish up at 11. And I'm about to submit it. And then, obviously, that's the time when the internet goes. And you're like, okay, how am I supposed to do this now? So I ran back to the school, hooked up my computer. Internet's not working there either. I'm like, oh, guys. So then you're like, cool, take out your phone, let's make a hotspot. Phone's not talking to the computer. You're like, you're intense. Anyways... it was a bit hectic. Um, but then, anyways, submitted it at 12.02. And then they're like, sorry, you don't get entrance into the exam. You can't go write the exam. So I was like, yo. Um, anyways, I went to the exam anyways. just like maybe, maybe something will happen. Um, and the lady there was like, cool, don't worry. I've got a spare paper for you. She let me write. So I was like, wow, awesome. Um, so I wrote, it went well. And then we get our transcripts. And then it says psychology... Dash. and I'm like, yo, what's the plan? Yeah. So I went and I prayed. I was like, you know, God. Then I phoned the university. I was like, look, guys, this is what happened. They're like, no, well, we can't let you in then. You don't have, you haven't passed all your credits. I was like, what? Like, there's got to be a plan. Like, there's got to be something here. So we went to go and get the official transcripts from the UNISA offices in East London. Went there. They were on strike. We're like, oh, okay. (laughs) Um, Then it's the week before O week, oh, sorry, for Zimbabweans, we can't apply online, we have to come and do it manually at Admin A, I don't know why, it's it's quite a pain. Um, But anyways, went to the UNISA in Cape Town, bah, also on a strike. Okay, cool, so like, you know, you take a photo, proof, then we took it to the guy, anyways, walking into Admin A, thinking, you know what, hopefully, maybe God will come through maybe, um, went to the first lady. You know, you have this wad of files of all the things that you've done in your life and how you've done them, and put it down, and she's like, okay, you seem to have done some stuff with Unisa. Have you got your transcripts? And I was like, yes. (laughs) Um, So about that, and then I showed her a photo. I was like, look, they're striking. Um, And then she's like, hmm, I shouldn't let you through. I really shouldn't let you through, but I just feel like I need to let you through. So she was like, so I went through way super job (laughs) like thanks god um went to the next lady and then she converts you know a levels and stuff into your matric marks went there and it was quite nice like you get boosted you're like i never thought i was that good um and then you go there and then she's like cool have you got a 60 for geography or you know all those things so get through get through then she's like okay have you got a second language i was like oh no and, then, and she's like, what do you mean? You don't have a second language. I was like, well, I've got like grade eight, Sean, and French, but that's it. And then she's like, well, and I was like, Jesus, please, <laughs> please. And then she's like, again, same thing. I don't know why, but I feel like I need to let you through. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I think you do. <laughs> and then she's like, okay, you can go through. And if anyone else says otherwise, say that I let you through. And I was like, wow. Okay, so I got through, got my things, and now I'm, I'm here. I'm actually here, I'm studying, and it is like the most incredible thing ever. So my story is, if God wants you somewhere, He's going to make a plan to get you there. If that's causing your niece's offices to strike, or some lady to get a feeling in her heart that she needs to let you through, God will do it. And especially for you guys, you know, leaving Varsity, like, oh, what do I do If God wants you to do something, He'll get you to do it. Thank
1: you. Amen. Amen, Amen, church. I want to thank God this morning that I'm standing here alive, strong, And in his love and protection. My name is Otilia. I'm from Zimbabwe. And I came to South Africa in 2007. I'm a qualified nurse. When I came here, my dreams were, uh, I'll just register my nursing and then I'll start working. But when I arrived here, I found it was a different situation altogether. I got papers as an asylum seeker, and I started working as a cleaner. I tried to register in that 2007 for nursing in South Africa, but it wasn't good. It wasn't easy for me, and I couldn't register. Then I gave up. Just said, "Okay, it's fine. I have to work hard for my children because I'm also a divorcee." So I continued to work and going to church and God has seen me through in going to church I have met so many people that have brought, been brought to my life by God We have seen me through walk the path of life they have helped me through and through and I appreciate God's love then there is this other time because I am going to cut it short if I tell the whole history to I will finish the whole church service <laughs> so there is this other time Sometime last year, there's a lady that I was sharing with where I stay. She's Malawian and she's a, a, a waitress. She told me she met some people in, in, at work. They were from California and they wanted to open a church in Cape Town. So they were looking for people to talk to and to help. And she had introduced me to them when I'm not there. So I went to meet these people at a restaurant when i was busy talking to these people there was also somebody sitting in that restaurant listening to what we were chatting he opened his laptop and he sit there we thought he was busy with you, whatever he was doing and we were busy with whatever we were discussing i talked to these ladies this man was listening after the conversation those ladies left I had to wait with this Malawian lady because she wanted to give her luggage to some people to go home. So, this man who was sitting was Josh Fisher. All of you, I think, you know him. And he stand up, he came to me and he greeted me. He said, I'm so happy about what I had you communicating with these people. I would want to invite you to our church, New Jane. So, in short, Josh invited me to New Jane. I came to New Jane on a Sunday and I listened to the word, and I fell in love with the word because all I'm seeking for my life is to know more about God and to live according to his will. So when I came here, I found the word and it took me, and I decided I want to join New Gen, and that I'm thankful for New Gen leaders who accepted me to also be a member of new journey and to walk together in the word of God, to share together the word of God and to share it with the community around us. Then when I was in New Journey, we talk most, we discuss with people, we share our life, history and all those things. I was planted in a cell group in a warm church and there we share things in the warm church. Some people were touched about my life and God used them to help me to restart again the situation of registration that I couldn't do that time. So they contributed for me to go to Zimbabwe because financially I couldn't do it again. I'm working as a nanny and I don't have enough money. I have to pay rent. I have to pay school fees for my children. I have to cater for everything. With the, the nanny salary, it's not enough. So these people, God spoke to them. They contributed. I don't even know who contributed. I only know my leader. And thankful to Shoni, to Oli, Sue, and other members who are in the church. And the church at large, because I I know maybe the church also contributed. I don't know. But I'm so thankful and I'm so grateful that God orders steps. And uh, in my lifetime, God has spoken to me in a dream. He gave me a verse in Jeremiah 18 that says... It's about the potter's house. He said to Jeremiah, go down the potter's house. And Jeremiah went down the potter's house. And he said to him, see, to this man who is molding his pot. He molds the pot into a nice way that he, he, it becomes a, a good pot. So he said to me, the, the word says, can I not do the same with you in my end? So whenever anything comes into my life that is so difficult... I'm reminded of the word. Can I not do better to you if you are in my hand than that one in the the potter's hand? I I was also given another verse, Psalms 139, in my dreams as well. When things are so tough, when I'm praying and fasting, God comes and gives me a, a verse. Psalms 139 said, I've searched you and I know you. I know when you sit down, when you stand up, when you go in and when you come out. I have perceived your thoughts from afar. Before you say anything on your tongue, I already know it. So these two verses always comfort me no matter what situation I am in. It gives me strength. When I just think of the verses, then I know. Even if I'm sitting in the church, sometimes I have a problem. I want to ask for a prayer request. But then I'm reminded, have you forgotten that you are in my hand? There's nothing too big for me. So I went to Zimbabwe in July through this assistance of the church to go and uh, request for my nursing transcript to register. It wasn't an easy journey as well because every office that you enter in Zimbabwe, we have to pay something. But you can't approach somebody and say, I want to pay you, I want this as well. You can be arrested for that. So they will always find a problem not to give you, not to say help you in your situation or anything. They will always find something to say and you can go from one place to another place. All they need is a $10. But then if you find somebody who says, oh no, they are giving you this problem, just go give them a drink. You, give, you pay the $10, you get everything that you want. So I wanted to take my passport. I wanted an ID because everything was lost. And when I went to submit my forms, because I, I, came from, I, I left from here to Zimbabwe with already my forms up, filled in and everything. And then they said, you can't get your ID. But then somebody told me, pay $10. I paid $10. It's not good before God. But this is the world that people are living. In. And you, without that, you can't, you can't have what you want. So it wasn't easy for me. But through prayers, I communicated with my home church people on our group. And they always pray for me. And I received the prayers as well. I was prepared in my heart to receive prayers. And then I got my transcript. As I'm standing here, I, I have all my two transcripts for nursing and midwifery. I'm waiting now to start regrading with SACWA and then trying to register again. But as I'm standing here as again, I don't have any permit in South Africa. I'm staying illegally. But God sees my way because he says I prepare a way where there's no way. I've never suffered. I've never lacked food or anything because God sees me through. So if there is anyone with a problem like me, no matter, it's not like my problem, but we have so many problems. God sees you through. God is always there. I have seen him and I know he is there. There's a lot to talk about it. If anyone wants to be encouraged, you can see me and talk to me. I'll share my testimony. I have a lot to share that God has done to me. Yes, it's true. My children went to university in South Africa. I didn't have any sense and as a person without permits or anything but through prayer and fasting, God has seen me through My children are working. I thank God for that. And I thank you, New Jane.
3: I've had to write it down because Paul said four minutes. So I'm going to try and stick to the four minutes. Sure, guys. This is a... um, Just a testimony of God's faithfulness. Um, Okay. Where over the last five years, he's taken me on an absolute adventure. But one where he's very clear that obedience is not optional. Um, And humbling yourself is not optional if you want to do my agenda and focus on my agenda and not yours. So, it starts in 2013 um, when God and I had a little talk about what I needed to do, this whole purpose thing that everyone is talking about, and at that time, my, my walk with God was wasn't all that long. It was about five years old, and um, now I've, by this time, I've now figured out, okay, fine, I was created for something. I wasn't just here for nothing. And um, I was really restless, and I was in a job, at a very good job, but I, I really felt that I needed to go and do this thing, but I didn't know what it was, and and God was just saying, your time is coming, but it's not yet. First, first you need to lead, need to become a little bit like me. <laughs> and um, that was the tough part. But um, so throughout that year, I really tried to focus on God. And um, in 2014, I went, um, some of you know the story, but I'll just briefly go through it. I went to Johannesburg for work, and I was in a robbery um, in a convenience store, and um, very long story short, um, I had a gun to my head that day, and um, the guy that robbed me was, um, was really, really kind. He, was, he put his hand on my shoulder. I was praying in that moment, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And um, he put his hand on my shoulder saying, shh, shh, I'm not here to hurt you. This is business. And... Um, Anyway, they left the store they, they took what they wanted that 's another story if you want to know the story of how god 's grace was just in it all the way through. But they got killed by the police. Um, the police were waiting for them outside, and there was a gun fire and um, anyway, it was, a, it was obviously a traumatic thing, but it was an absolute divine intervention in my life and um, I, I came back and really God really stirred in my heart as I saw that guy lying there. You know, for some people, it's easier to make better decisions than it is for others. And um, he probably had a dream of becoming that policeman that killed him and, um, when he was five years old, and I knew that I needed to go and, and do something, but I, but I didn't know what. Um, and God really showed me that it, it wasn't one thing in his life that, w- that went wrong. It was a collective number of things that went wrong, and that, all of that stuff It sits in a system, and the system is flawed. So I came back, and I knew I needed to go and do something. And I saw Nugent's counsellor; it was Cornell in Somerset West, was a trauma counsellor, and we worked through it for for quite a while. And he said to me, "Mali, you know, um, it's like when you're in a in a when you go skydiving and you sit in that plane and you've got that parachute on, and you need to jump, but you don't want to jump. and someone's at the back of you, and they push you, and and." Then you jump. And um, he said, That's God. He pushed you. And now you need to, you, you now jumped. And uh, you need to go. And I, and, I, and I just looked at him and I said, I know, I need to go. And I called John and I said, Listen, I'm quitting my job. And it was quiet on the other side of the telephone. <laughs> and um, because this is not like me, it's not in my character. I'm responsibility on Strength Finder, he's right at the top. I don't do things like this. And um, Anyway, I quit my job. And I said, fine, God, but what, where, and how? What, what is it that I need to go and do? And um, he said two things to me. The one was collaboration, and the other was Dalamosh. And at that time, I was also speaking to Sue and, 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 and Sean, and I know that they said, brought a word to me, they were at GLS, and they came back and said, Molly, go fill the gaps. And, um, okay. So, anyway, I had very little connection here. Um, at the time, the kids were here. We just moved here to, to, to New as well. And um, God said, just start talking to people. And I just started talking to people. And this random lady that came in my mind, she used to work with me like six years ago. I knew she worked for the university. And I called her up, and I said, I need to chat to you, and we chatted, and she got me this invitation a week later to this meeting that I didn't know what it was about, and, and I just rocked up at this meeting, and it was a, a bunch of non-profit organizations, and I come out of the non-profit sector, that were sitting together, and there was this network that used to facilitate collaboration amongst non-profit organizations, but that network was no longer functioning and they were asking the question, is that network still necessary in Stellenbosch? And I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh, okay, well, this is interesting. I said two words at that meeting, and they selected me to be on the subcommittee to help get this collaboration network up and running again. And um, on that committee, the municipality was there, the university was there, nonprofit organizations, civil society members, it was, it was yeah, everyone was there to work around community development and how do we work, how do we work together? So here I was just working and I didn't know really why I was doing this. Where was this going to? And throughout this process, I, I met with Morgan Foundation and they eventually connected me to a guy um, who I met a year later after all this collaboration stuff's been going on. And, and um, I had coffee with him and I was wondering, he was a town planner. And I was like, why? what does a town planner want, want with me? Like, what do I, you know, I don't know how this all fits together. And we sat down, and he, and he told me a story, and he just moved to Stellenbosch. God told him to move to Stellenbosch because, um, and he doesn't really know why, but they have now moved down to Stellenbosch. I said, but what do you do? And he says, no, I, um, I implement a collaborative community development model <laughs> um, in towns across South Africa, and um, I know I had to come to Stellenbosch. And I was like, oh, well, funny that, you know, I've just like <laughs> been this Spent a year on trying to get these nonprofits together and to work together and I have no idea why. And I and then I saw that, that it plugs into his, his broader model, which basically is based on town planning principles and integrates the development and planning strategies of multiple sectors: local government, business, nonprofits, civil society, the whole works, and all this work that I've been doing on the side started plugging in there. And then now we've been implementing this model for about two years in this town where we identify the gaps, and we work with the multiple sectors to go and fill those gaps. Um, because everything, if you, if you live in the in Boert, there are multiple things in your life that work together, systemically. But in our poorer communities, 99% of those things don't work. And the one has got an impact on the other, and the other has got an impact on the other, and that's how it goes. And um, we need to go, we are working out and trying to figure out what are those systemic issues and how do we fix fix those gaps and fill those gaps collectively as seeing the bigger picture. So we bring the bigger picture to the table and then we we help these different stakeholders in a completely non-threatening environment just to see where do they fit into this bigger picture. And about a year ago, or at the same time, Paul and I have been talking about, you know, church and Eugene and how, you know, social justice, and we started the journey with, with Serv surf, surf, Bosch. but we knew that the, that the church as a whole needed somehow to get together, and um, I developed a proposal for the Mergon Foundation again, um, to look at what is the role of the church within um, community transformation, but not just one church, all churches, and um, they gave us money to go and scope this thing, and um, last week we had the first meeting um, with about 15 people, or oh, this week, sorry, it was this week, about 15 different church leaders around Stellenbosch, some, in Kayam- uh, some guy that heads up fraternal in, in Um he's a, he's, he's a Baptist church, we've had the VGK in Idas Valley there, they've got a fraternal that heads up churches there, um, we had the Mudderkerk and the whole Parade for Kerk Samenwerking, we had them there, we had Paul and them there, we had Christ Church there, we had Presbyterian Church there, we had so many different churches there, and um, just having a conversation and showing them what we've been doing for the last three to four years of just trying to implement this collaborative model where we develop a bigger picture of what's wrong in in, in a particular geographical area and how we need to go and fix it, and we just ask the question, so how do you see yourself, um, what is your role in this, in all of this, and um, it was such an encouraging meeting and, and you know, you can speak to Paul afterwards as well, where people just said, you know what, there's reasons why churches don't work together and it's and it's usually about doctrine. It stops with doctrine and theology issues and all these things and and, and, and the conversation stops there so we can't go forward. But this model, this community development model, is really completely non threatening. It just brings the common agenda to the table and all we're asking them, we're not asking them what's your doctrine, we're not asking them anything other than how are you serving your local community and where are you fitting in? So, and um, At the time, I just want to read a, a, a prophecy that, or what, do you, what is it, a word or a prophecy? I don't know what the correct Christian word is. But um, <laughs> at the time, there was uh, this prophecy that came to Paul um, at one prayer meeting, and I want to read just a little bit out of it from a woman that doesn't even live in Stellenbosch. Um, and she was saying this. I'm praying for the church, and I was, in praying for the church, I was reminded of Paul's exhortation to Timothy. Don't let anyone look down, um, you, of you, on you because of you, because you are young. I feel that God would speak this over you, not just as individuals, but as an entire church community. I feel that you are dreaming of ways to impact the whole of Stellenbosch, to see the community transformed, to impact numerous strata of society. And you are dreaming of how different churches in Stellenbosch can unite and collaborate together for greater impact for the gospel. I have heard... That you are a new church in the community and you have many young leaders. And I feel to encourage you, do not be intimidated by your youth or by the cynicism of those who have tried before. God has anointed you, like David, to stand in courage with the boldness of youth. You are a company of giants, in company of giant slayers. So this was just so beautiful that, and timeously, God's time is faithful. I had. Zero experience in the stuff that I'm doing now, none. But if God makes a w- wants you to do, go and do something. He'll go and do something. And what I'm doing on a daily basis now is I'm having difficult conversations with different people. And our God has just showed me that throughout my entire life, since when I was a small child, I grew up in a home where there was a lot of conflict, and I had to. I had to figure out the lay of the land constantly and facilitate those difficult conversations between my mom and my dad. And then I married a man who was married before, and I have to facilitate difficult conversations between two families. And I'm a stepmother, constantly having to facilitate difficult conversations. And throughout all that life experience, God has just prepared me for what I need to go and do. And it's not just me, but we really just want, I really just want to encourage you that, yeah, that, that, that young guy said before me, if God wants you to do something, he'll get you to do it. It doesn't matter what.
2: Okay, for the sake of time, we're just going to cut it there. But it's just so beautiful to hear stories. The reason we do this is because our God is alive, and He is active in our lives, and, our, and the Word is alive, and it's 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 beautiful to see the, um, God's um, action throughout history. But it is even more so beautiful to see God really active in people's lives, and that is so encouraging for me specifically. But I'm I'm, I'm really hopeful that it's been encouraging to you guys this morning.